Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening, and I am excited that you have tuned in to another exciting episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm in the studio of the Radio Lighthouse. Now, with COVID-19 being on the rise and all of our lives being affected to some degree or another, I share that to say that the program is being done a little differently tonight. Pastor Murphy is not in the studio as usual, but rather is on the phone and is in his study and will be answering your questions over the phone. Good evening, Pastor. Um, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening tonight. Let me just take a moment to remind you that this is a live interactive program. Now, Pastor, before we get to our topic this evening, I've got a couple of questions that came in over the week weekend and the first one comes from saint martin it says good night why does the pastor preach on end times prophecy in revelation 13 14 and 16 he has to tell the world what is coming on the earth you you want me to respond to that yes please yeah, I, I'm not too sure um, the nature of the question. I, I was wondering if the person meant that um, in, in dealing with prophecy, which we spent several months dealing with prophecy, uh, if he felt perhaps you weren't as exhausted as you should be. Um, and again, we limited the the prophetic series uh, to give a sampling of the fundamental concepts that are involved in Bible prophecy. We didn't try to do an exhaustive study of the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel. But uh, in those passages that the guy made reference to um, in uh, Revelations 13, uh, 16, and, and 17, uh, we did cover uh, some of that material, if not um, as exhaustive as he wanted to. But we did point out that the Antichrist is coming. We did point out that the false prophet is coming. We did point out as well that uh, there is going to be an economic system where people are coerced to receive the mark of the beast so that they'll be able to purchase or buy. And if they do not do that, uh, they'll use economic pressure to, to bring people to accept the beast and receive his mark. We did also talk about the fact that the judgment of God is going to be very, very severe. Um, we talked about the fact that by the time the Lord is over, uh, two-thirds of the earth's population will be decimated. Uh, every island, and the Bible says, will disappear. Mountains will disappear. The cities will disappear. Uh, an earthquake will occur that will split Jerusalem in three different directions, and this will create all kinds of catastrophes, uh, no doubt tsunamis as well. But we did we did mention that, and perhaps maybe another time we could do a more exhaustive study of those chapters the person wanted us to look at. But we, we didn't uh, in any way try to hide the fact that the time that is coming, uh, that the Bible warns against, uh, it is extremely severe, 
and totally devastating. This is a time the Bible says there has never been, nor will there ever be a time like this. This is a, a, a catastrophe of immense proportions that uh, the wiping out of the world's population, two-thirds, uh, is it, just astounding. But it's not a revelation that we glory in. It is something God warns us against. And, and man, uh, and if you read the passage that the person mentioned, for example, uh, in Revelations, uh, uh, I think it is 14 or 15, it says that while God is bringing all these judgments upon humankind, they do not repent. Uh, they have remained stubborn and arrogant and and, uh, and refused to, to re- So in spite of all the severity of what is coming upon the earth, it is, it's not melting people's heart. It is hardening the heart so that they get angry at God for the fact that he, 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 uh, he acts with such severity. So the, the whole book uh, passage there that he's talking about, um, you know, it's not that God is just judging and man is repenting. The ultimate goal is to bring man to repentance. But it's very, very clear that people have become so hardened in their condition that in spite of the severity of God's wrath, uh, the Bible said they would not repent, they would not repent, they would not repent. Again and again in that passage, it emphasizes the problem is that man refuses to repent. And I, I think this is where we are even currently, that one devastation after another devastation is not having the effect that is designed to have, where people to be broken and repentant and turning back to God. It's, it's as though people become hardened in the condition. They can't wait until uh, this whole thing is lifted to return to the normal way of, of uh, rebellion against God. Uh, and that is where I think we, we, we are being conditioned, as it were, uh, to, to more hardness than we are to brokenness and, and uh, repentance before God. Here's a follow-up from that same individual. Sure. It says, this is a question I need him to answer, seeing it is relevant for these times to make the people to know that what will be coming down on this earth, it will not be business as usual. Yeah, well, I, I, I probably can do that. Um, I mean, if we we can't go through those three chapters tonight, I don't think. Uh, but again, if you look at those chapters that he's dealing with, uh the, the point is, in, in those chapters, that there is going to rise an end-time leader who will uh, be the one that seems to offer the solution to the world's problems. The world is going to go after him. He's called the Antichrist. He become a political leader. Uh, he is going to have supreme power. Uh, we're told that the power that he has comes from Satan himself. Satan gives him his authority. And we're told that along with him comes another person who's called the beast out of the earth, who's a false prophet. He's like John the Baptist, and, and uh, the Antichrist is like Christ. And the same purpose of John the Baptist, which was to establish the credibility of, of Christ and to verify that he was from God, this same false prophet will perform the same function. His job is to bolster people's confidence in the Antichrist, that he is the one, he is the, the Christ. And he is going to use signs and deceiving wonders to, to make the world go after the Antichrist. And then uh, in the process, he is going to demand that an image be built to the honor of the Antichrist, almost like in the Old Testament with uh, Nebuchadnezzar building this great image and calling upon all people to worship and bow down before the image. And we're told one of the strangest things in that passage, uh, Nathan, is that we're told that it will be given to him to have power to help uh, to make the image speak. For something miraculous and supernatural is going to happen, 
that this image, whether it be some kind of a massive computer image that is made, but it will have the capacity to certainly speak. This will mesmerize the world, believing that this man is some kind of a superpower. Remember, the Antichrist will claim that he's God. He, as a matter of fact, the Bible says he will blaspheme God and those in heaven. Uh, you are going to meet a person who is ten times worse than uh, Dawkins, who, if you ever read his book, The God Delusion, is very, very clear that he had a, a beef with God. And the language that is used in that particular book is, is, is astounding language. I, I, I've, I've never read a book where I've never, uh, I've never uh, seen anywhere where a man can express uh, himself in such uh, lurid terms in the description of God. And I think the Antichrist is going to be the same way. He's going to be very, very officious, very, very uh, uncouth, uh, very brazen in tearing down God and tearing down heaven and those who are in, in heaven. And he will claim to be God. And because of these miracles, people will believe that. And, of course, to bring about his ultimate plan, this economic coercion, where uh, we're now in a situation where I think the economies of the world have collapsed. Uh, there's now a new ne- economic order. He comes on the scene. He solves the problem. But to, to be able to purchase or buy, uh, you have to receive this mark. And, and the Bible makes it quite clear that those who receive the mark of the beast... Uh, and, and by the way, um, when you hit people where they are hurting and, and where they are economically deprived and where they are starving or where they need some kind of... Uh, uh, items of food, et cetera, et cetera. You hit them where uh, very few people today are prepared to go through any kind of hardship. And I think we're more than willing uh, to yield to the Antichrist just to have these basic necessities. I think the world is being conditioned. We are not conditioned to handle hardship at all. We, we, every little problem we have, we, there's some solution that is, is dealt with, either some uh, technological miracles, some medical miracles, so that we've never been through any great pain. So the society is not ready for that. So when he comes on the scene, it's very easy for people to yield to that economic pressure so they'll have the basic necessity of life. But the Bible warns that those who do that, uh, they will suffer the wrath of God and judgment of God. And there's no hope for any man who receives the mark of the beast. And then when you go into the next chapter, it talks about the devastating judgments that God will bring on, on, the, on the earth. Uh, even, for example, the sun is going to be uh, given the capacity to be much hotter than it is. And it, it said it would scorch mankind. Uh, we're told that uh, boils will be poured out on humankind where uh, people will be in great pain. We're also told that the river Euphrates is going to be dried up, allow the kings of the east. This is going to be the, the, one of the uh, power centers of the world at the end time. You've got the northern kingdom, you've got the southern kingdom. Of course, you've got the western kingdom, then you're going to have the eastern kingdom. Uh, and they're going to come across the, to the, the, the dry bed of the river Euphrates. All of that is foretold. But the, the thing about it is that all this devastation uh, is even also going to affect the sun and the moon. It says that the, the uh, and water, by the way, which is another staggering thing. The Bible says that the angel pours out uh, his judgment on the seas, and the seas turn to blood, and all the living creatures in the sea die. And then when it comes to the, 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 the water, the fresh water, we're told the same thing. The angels uh, uh, pour the judgment on the fresh water, and they're turning to blood. It's almost like returning to the Egyptian judgments that God gave in Egypt. But again, you can just imagine that the sea turns to blood. You can imagine that the fresh water turns to blood. What are we going to drink? Uh, where are we going to get uh, our, our food from? Uh, and then it, it talks about the, even the, the, the moon and the stars. 
uh, will be shaken. The whole, the whole universe will be shaken. And then there's a massive earthquake, the Bible talks about, that will split the great city into three. And then we're told after that that every island disappears, all the mountains are brought to the ground, and the cities uh, are toppled. You're talking about uh, an earthquake, by the way, they said there has never been an earthquake like this. It will be felt around the world and shake the very foundations of human civilization. Wow. When, you, when you read all of that uh, in the book of Revelations, you know that we are, we, are, we are talking about a time that is unprecedented, but this is yet futuristic. Uh, and uh, the Bible warns us. Uh, so there's not a single uh, person today within the Western world who has access to Scripture or access to, uh, access to the radio or television uh, that, it, it, that cannot be aware of these things. So we are warned uh, to flee the wrath to come. But man continues to ignore the message of God's warning and continues to live in rebellion against God. And uh, God would not be the moral God of the universe if he could just stand by and see man do his own thing and ignore God's warnings and sin with impunity. God has to act, and God will act, and he will act decisively. So we are warned against these things. Pastor, I've got a question. So you were mentioning the mark of the beast, and I don't want to go down a conspiracy sure, path yeah. uh, here, but I just the other day overheard someone say that they are convinced, and they were trying to push it on other people, that um, whenever a vaccine is created for this COVID-19, that in conjunction with that COVID-19 will be the mark of the beast. Now, in the past, I've heard you say that you won't accidentally get the mark of the beast. It'll be a conscious effort. Yeah. Uh, what, is, what is your biblical perspective? I, I think that sometimes people take these things, and, I, and this is where I, I, I feel that we have done, people have done injustice to Scripture and have brought great uh, uh, disrepute against the Bible by coming up with some kind of sensational uh, conclusions that there's no biblical base for it whatsoever. Uh, there's no indication that uh, the mark of the beast is going to be something secretive. You read it for yourself in the book of Revelation, chapter 13 and 17. It's a decisive a choice that is made by individuals to either receive the mark in the forehead or uh, in, in their hand. It's a person suggesting then that you're going to receive the vaccine and the forehead or uh, in, the, in, in the hand? Is that what the person is suggesting? There's, I don't think there's any connection between the two. I just think that people are trying to be sensational, and I think that people tend to be to exaggerate and try to see things that are not there. The problem is when things settle down and this doesn't happen, once again there's a notch against the credibility of the Bible, and uh, people don't take the Bible seriously any longer because didn't so-and-so say make this statement and then it didn't come true. We have to be very careful and very watchful. And when we must warn people where the Bible does not speak explicitly on a subject, we ought to pursue that with great caution uh, and not in any way try to sensationalize it. And I think that is what people are doing. And you will find that out of this COVID-19, don't be surprised if there are not many people who begin to sell books uh, and make tons of dollars. They exploit religion in such a way that it is very, very pathetic. Uh, it is sad that it has come to this state. So we ought to, uh, if the Bible doesn't make that and there's no connection there, I don't see there any connection whatsoever between a vaccine if it is uh, finally found and uh, we have access to it. I don't see any connection between that and the, the mark of the beast whatsoever. While you're mentioning books, let me just mention this to those who are listening, that uh, John Piper, uh, a well-known Christian author, uh, mm -hmm. has written a book uh, on 
the coronavirus and Christ and is making it available free of charge. If you just go, uh, you can download it on the internet. Uh, you can download it as audio. Uh, just Google John Piper book on coronavirus or COVID-19 and you'll get it. I uh, just want to make that available as a resource to those who may be struggling and uh, we want to connect uh, you with any material that we can that is biblically based. Next, if I may add as well, because I mean, John Piper, as you said, is uh, very solid. Uh, generally speaking, there are some one or two things that are uh, might be not as significant, whatever. But uh, he is a very good writer and a very solid Christian uh, writer and speaker and a pastor. And I, I think I can't wait to read the book myself. I see that you I took, took down the note here you just gave, so I, I'm going to search for it tonight and try to read it myself. Yeah, I I know you love your books. I know you'll be downloading it as soon as we're done, Pastor. Uh, if you've got a question, you can WhatsApp or text it to us. The phone number is 268-782-1454. Pastor, one more question before we jump into our topic tonight. This comes from a listener in Antigua. Pastor, Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 says, The lights in the sky were created to be a sign. Should we view solar eclipses as a sign of God's judgment like ancient civilizations did? If not, what is meant by a sign? And let me just read that verse. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. There's no doubt that there are times when the heavens will give some kind of indication that something is going to happen. But again, if you go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 to 3, you'll find that Christ, uh, the people asking, will show us a sign from heaven. And he turned around and he uh, said to them, you know, what amazing about you people that you have the unique capacity that you can discern uh, the signs in the weather. And he said, you can see when it is red, uh, et cetera, you know that there's going to be rain, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be hot, whatever it is. You can find it in Matthew chapter 16. So very clearly there, the sign there is that uh, was given in, in the heavens to indicate to us the weather patterns. I mean, we can look on these skies and you can see a sign when it's going to rain, when it's going to be hot. And depending on if you're a very good observer over a number of years, you pretty much have an idea of uh, what's going to happen. So not necessarily is there everything you see in the heavens, uh, there, it has any reference to something that's coming upon the earth. We do know that in Luke chapter 21, verse 11 to 20 and 25, the Bible talks about in the end times, there be signs in the heavens and signs in the stars and signs in the moon and signs in, in, uh, in the sun. We do know that. So clearly, uh, there it, it serves some kind of a prophetic um, uh, purpose in terms of God's plan. But I don't think that you is designed that every time you see an eclipse in the heaven that there is some supernatural thing that's going to happen. That's what led to superstition and what led eventually to astrology, where people began to worship the, the stars and worship the moon and the sun, etc., etc. But uh, clearly, the, the main purpose of these uh, the stars, the sun, and the moon is to give people signs of the weather, also the signs about the autumn, winter, summer, um, uh, etc., and, and spring. Uh, so you can know by the, 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 the change in the weather patterns when autumn is going to come, when spring is going to come, etc. It was designed for that as a sign, as that. But there's no doubt about it that 
the Lord also uses it and will use it in the end time in particular, uh, where it will be signed in the, in the stars and in the, the moon. And we were told that in Matthew chapter, Luke chapter 21, verse 11 and 25. So they do have some prophetic meaning to signs that will take place in the heavenly uh, sphere in the future. But we must not take that every eclipse or, or whatever has any significance uh, so that we become so superstitious that we believe we're controlled now by the stars are controlled by the, he- the heavenly bodies. I think that's where a lot of uh, astrology uh, comes in, and we need to be very, very careful about that. Tonight we're going to be continuing our discussion that we started last week, the topic of anxiety. Maybe it's your health, maybe finances, family, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's the future, or just the unknown. All of us face anxiety. So stay tuned and encourage others to tune into The Lighthouse, and specifically to That's Truth as we discuss anxiety and how it relates to COVID-19. If you have a question, again, you can send it via WhatsApp or text to 268-782-1454. Pastor, can you remind us briefly how you define anxiety or what you mean by it? Well, we, we, we mentioned last time, basically, that the, the fundamental concept behind anxiety is the element of uncertainty, at least the fear, especially something that you have no control over. It's kind of a, um, 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 uh, a, kind of a psychic uh, um, uneasiness that you have within. It's really an umbrella term that is used by the psychologists to express different uh, degrees of fear and worry, uh, ranging from that which is mild to that which is severe. So it really has to do with an uneasiness and a distress uh, over threat of something unknown that leads to a person uh, brooding, uh, having brooding fear. And as I said before, the key thing here is the uncertainty uh, of something we can't control. And there is some element that we fear so that there's also the, the question of our insecurity. So that uneasiness um, uh, causes us to anticipate some misfortune or danger or loss, and this stirs the emotion of fear or apprehension within the individual. So it's really psychic tension, uh, mental, emotional tension that is based on um, a state of apprehension about something to be uncertain about. Uh, that is the gist of what anxiety is all about. Now you're getting. I'm getting the feeling from you that anxiety has negative effects on its victims or on individuals who are facing it. Yeah. Why? Why is anxiety unhealthy? Well, the, the, the thing we said um, is that it, it leads to what we might call catastrophic thinking, uh, where we overestimate the likelihood of the danger or this negative outcome that we're thinking about. And this creates uh, what you might call a kind of a psychic disorder. And what I mean by that is that we, the individual now uh, allows these thoughts to so dominate his, his mind and his feelings and his action. It now prevents him from being able to live a normal life or even cope with daily responsibilities. You almost come to the point of paralysis uh, where uh, the person is stripped of motivation and the energy uh, to continue, and this sometimes can lead to withdrawal and antisocial behavior. Um, so the, the whole thing is the effect it has on the individual so that his normal life is disrupted 
and this can affect his family relationships and other relationships. When it reaches that stage, that is why it is so uh, critical that uh, the person learns to deal with it because it not only affects him, it begins to affect people around him in a very negative way. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth, and the voice that you hear teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. We're discussing specifically anxiety tonight. Yeah, yeah Nathan, if I may add uh, to, to what we just said, um, you know, the, 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 the effects that a person, if they don't learn to deal with it or learn to face it, uh, I mean, it affects a person in different ways. I think last time we talked about it can have some physical effects, and the symptoms uh, could range from a general sense of pain. Uh, sometimes people have a pounding heart. Uh, it's not un- it's not uncommon for a person to have uh, stomach cramps and a general malaise of weakness and tiredness and exhaustion. Uh, and then that physical effects, of course, lead to functional effects, where, as I mentioned, the inability to cope or perform the duties, and that leads to a lot of relational tension. And uh, the the biggest thing about it, if the person is married, it can lead to marital dysfunction. And then it has these uh, psychotic effects where the the person can develop depression. As a matter of fact, the symptoms of anxiety and depression often overlap. And generally speaking, one leads to the other. And then this uh, further can have spiritual effects upon a person because it means that when you go into this state of anxiety and depression, uh, you can become so distracted that you lose your perspective. Uh, and when you lose your perspective, it means that you, 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 you feel helpless, you lose your sense of security, and you forget that you are surrounded by the tale of God's providential care as a believer so that you now begin to live like a pagan yourself uh, in the same kind of trepidation and fear and apprehension of the man around you so that your testimony is ruined. And uh, rather than being a witness uh, for Christ, you have to become a detriment uh, to him. So it, it, it's not just the physical effects. It is not just the, uh, the functional effects. It's not just even the psychological effects. It's also the spiritual effects that can be so devastating in a Christian life. Now, uh, later, we, if we have a chance to talk, we all have levels of anxiety. But we have to manage those anxiety uh, attacks that come. And, of course, there's great help in Scripture in regards to these matters. You mentioned there can be great spiritual effects. Can a believer lose his salvation over anxiety? If a believer, if a person is genuinely saved, born again, uh, blood washed, put their faith and trust in Christ, uh, the Bible makes it very clear that uh, the believer is eternally secure. I mean, I believe in eternal security. No man is able to pluck you out of my hand. Uh, The Bible makes it quite clear that uh, we believe in the saving of the soul uh, unto eternal life. Um, our salvation is not dependent upon, our, upon us, or the salvation is dependent upon Christ. And whether we have anxiety or fear or worry, that does not affect what Christ did for us on the cross. Our faith and trust is in Him. So a believer cannot lose his, his salvation because of anxiety and fear. Um, if that were true, I don't know how many people would be saved. Because all of us have been through some trauma at some point in time. And by the way, when you go through the Old Testament and go into the Bible as well, there's so many times when, take Abraham, uh, he had anxiety when he was going down to Egypt that he would lose his life. And he, of course, got his, 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 his wife to, to, to lie that he was his sister. 
uh, she was his, his, uh, his sister, uh, that was anxiety, anxiety over fear of his life. Was Abraham lost because uh, he went through that moment of fear? Uh, we got his son Isaac doing the same thing, uh, again, uh, asking his wife to pretend that she is his, his sister, uh, like father, like son. And then you, you go to people like uh, Elijah, uh, in the case of Jezebel, um, again, there's no question about it that he had anxiety and he ran away for his life. Uh, but did that mean that I, 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 he lost his salvation because of that? I, I think it is uh, it, 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 it's, it's totally unsound and unbiblical to suggest that because a person has fear and anxiety uh, that they lose their, their salvation. Uh, even take Peter. Um, I mean, time Peter feared for his life. Um, when he, the young girl confronted him and Peter lied, but then Peter repented. Did Peter lose his salvation because he went through a moment of, of fear and anxiety and, and surrendered? Uh, I think if that were true, I am not too sure if a person would take a general profile of his life from the time he was converted until now. Uh, how many times we have gone through moments of fear and trepidation? Does that mean that we lost our salvation because we've been through that? Absolutely not. We are eternally secure in Christ. There is now no condemnation of those that are in Christ Jesus. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. So a believer can't lose his salvation because he's going to a bout of anxiety. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from Antigua. It says, Good night, gentlemen. Pastor Murphy, you said that a person that takes the mark of the beast, there is no hope. And the Bible states that the person that blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness. For me, it's saying that there is no hope for the person for that person. Can you tell me the difference between these two? Well, certainly in the in, in the present dispensation. Uh, blaspheme against the Holy Spirit cannot be pardoned. There's no question about that. And by the way, blaspheme against the Holy Spirit uh, means that you willfully knowing that an individual acting in the power of God performs some miraculous work, uh, and then because of your jealousy or your envy, you charge that person with using satanic powers to accomplish the work that God has actually accomplished through His Holy Spirit. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So let me be very, very clear what that is. But it's another dispensation to come. It's called the tribulation dispensation. And if you read it very carefully, I, I don't have my Bible here, and it's specific, but you can read it for yourself. Uh, the Bible makes it very clear that any man that received the mark of the beast, uh, the Bible makes it very clear that they will suffer the eternal wrath of God. It, it is there in itself in that, that in Revelation. It's either in Revelation chapters 13 or 17, but it is there if you read it. So I am just quoting what the Bible says. The suggestion that a person can receive the mark of the beast and uh, willfully receive the mark of the beast and there's hope for that person, it is not found in Scripture. Once you receive the mark of the beast, all hope is gone for you. So, you know, God deals with us differently in different dispensations. In the dispensation of grace, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit uh, is unforgivable. The dispensation of tribulation, which is to come after the, this, the church is taken out, there is a, a clear, explicit warning that once you receive the mark of the beast, there is no reprieve. There's no way that you can be in any way uh, avert the judgment of God. It is stated there very expressly. So the two things don't contradict each other. Um, you know, this is where people who do not believe in dispensational truth uh, always try to impose the dispensation of law in the dispensation of grace. <laughs> and that's where the problem comes in. But God deals with 
us at different uh, different administrations, as it were, different periods of time, and we're tested in regards to something specific revelation, and there are consequences to that revelation. Uh, you know, I don't want to go through the, we could probably do a program on the different dispensations of the Bible at some point in time, and what the test was, and what the failure was, and what the consequences were. But clearly, when you read the scriptures, there are different periods of time, and God lays down certain guidelines in that regard. And in the case of the Mark of the Beast, it is made explicitly clear in that passage. It's either Revelation 13 or 17, the one that receives the mark of the beast will suffer the wrath of God as long as you receive the mark of the beast. I would challenge the person to read that. I don't have uh, the the script time to go through it right now to find it. But if I if you the person has a problem with it, uh, in next broadcast that we have, I will read the explicit passage there that states it very clearly that there is no reprieve once one receives the mark of the beast. We're discussing this evening, by the way, thank you very much for the individual who sent in that question and the other questions that have come in tonight. If you have a question, you can WhatsApp or text it to one 782 Or you can join us on Facebook Live and you can comment your question beside the video feed. It'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. And if you are interested in that book written by John Piper. Uh, there is a link for that book uh, in conjunction with the Facebook Live video feed, so you can go look at that. On time across the Eastern Caribbean and in our studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse is 8.04 on this Tuesday evening. I trust that you are doing well, and I hope that you can encourage others to tune in and enjoy this program, be encouraged by the program, uh, have opportunities to ask their questions. Pastor, uh, just as I'm doing the station ID, we have two more questions that have come in from Nevis. Good night from Nevis. Two questions. What happens to people who are mentally challenged? In other words, where do they fall as it relates to heaven or hell? That's a very good question. Thank you for sending that in. Yeah. You know, I, I can't speak with the, um, dogmatically on this subject because, again, I don't find any explicit teaching in the Bible in regards to this matter. What I would say to a person uh, who, uh, in this matter, I would say that, you know, we got to understand that God is a God of love, is a God of compassion, is a God of justice, is a God of righteousness. I think that all of those are factored into uh, Christ's redemptive work. Some same thing with with uh, babies. Uh, I do believe that people, babies, who people who die before the age of accountability, um, I do believe that those people will be covered under the blood of Christ. But again, this is an interpretation based on the justice of God and the concept that God is love. I think the same pertains to a person who is mentally ill. Uh, now, I do have a problem where a person who becomes mentally ill and have had opportunities prior to that. Uh, I, 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 I am very ambivalent as to what, what this would mean. Uh, certainly, if the person has come to the age of accountability and have had opportunity upon opportunity, uh, to, to repent, but maybe had an uh, accident or something or uh, used some kind of a drug and then uh, had some kind of aneurysm in, in the brain that maybe uh, made them incompetent to, to reason. Um, I, I don't think that person necessarily would escape because they've had opportunity, but I think that those people who are born mentally ill and who've never had the opportunity to hear and grasp scripture, who don't have the understanding, 
I believe that the blood of Christ uh, covers those type of people. And that is based on my belief that God is just, God is righteous, God will do what is right. And the, the element of free choice is not there any longer. And I do believe that God deals with us on the basis of free choice, uh, that we are moral beings. Um, I don't think our justice can go, uh, that our sense of justice um, can be any less than, than, than God's. Uh, and that is where, I, that's my belief on this matter. But there's no typical passage that explicitly states that a person who is mentally challenged or can't comprehend biblical truth that he goes to heaven. Uh, it's just a conclusion that is reached based on justice, based on, on love and compassion. And, 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 you know, all of us, I mean, I, no matter how we look at the judgment to come, uh, I believe that we will all discover that we've had opportunities. That is, those who are in normal life, uh, who have understanding. I think that um, this is just my view. I think that when God replays the videotape of our lives, I think we'd be totally surprised how many times he attempted to bring us to the knowledge of himself and how many times we refused and we rejected. I think we, we just that's why the Bible says every mouth shall be shut and silent because we will then begin to see how many times God is trying to intervene uh, to bring us to a knowledge of himself that we refused. Uh, and, and that is why I think we'll be silenced. But for those people who uh, don't have competence, mental competence, to listen, to understand, uh, uh, I personally would find it difficult to believe that, that uh, God would do uh, injustice uh, to those type of people. Same thing with people who have never heard the gospel. Uh, people bother about that. If I might go off on a tangent here for just a moment, I do believe that every single person that uh, has a desire to seek and to find God, and that's why the Bible makes it clear that the, the heavens declare the glory of God and that creation speaks about God's deity and speaks about God's power and God's uh, and, God, and, and God, God's Godhood. Uh, and that a person looking on nature and seeing this vast universe and seeing the order and the complexity of it, and they just know that something, something, this just couldn't happen. I think when that person seeks honesty and asks God, reveal yourself, I do believe that God will either get the gospel to them uh, by sending somebody, or like what is happening in the in the Muslim world today. I just read a, another um, book by Ravi Zacharias, and he, he mentioned a, a similar illustration that uh, Muslims that he has known uh, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, 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 and many, many cases, because they're living in these countries that they cannot openly uh, trust Christ and they don't have an open Bible, there are times when they come under a strange burden and, uh, and uh, searching for who, who, what God is this, uh, you know, and truly. And they've had God and Christ uh, reveal themselves in dreams. I mean, this, this sounds astounding because we, we have lost the sense of the supernatural. The Western world, because of its science, uh, has lost the mystery that there is a supernatural world and God still acts in supernatural realms. So when we hear this kind of talk, we are almost being brainwashed to the idea that unless it is some kind of an intellectual exercise or some kind of a, uh, uh, a biblical passage that is read, but generally speaking, when the, these dreams or these angels appearing to these people, they're normally brought into contact with somebody who gives them the message. 
But this is this is happening regularly, Nathan. And I, a person like Ravi Zacharias, I just read it. I, I mean, there are times when I'm hesitant when I hear it because some people you just can't trust. But when you meet a man of his caliber, right? Uh, yeah, he's saying that you know he's had those encounters with people who've come out of the Muslim faith. God is doing something marvelously supernatural that we in the Western world haven't got a clue. And we just become so skeptical about the supernatural that we live in a world of, of just the natural and the, and the scientific world. So we have lost that awe and that sense that is there in that part of the world. You know, if you go to Africa, for example, there are so, I mean, they've gone to the other extreme, but they believe in so many spirits, but they live in a supernatural realm. Uh, the Muslims, again, in that part of the world, live in a supernatural realm. We in the West live in a, super, uh, in a scientific realm, where everything must be explained in terms of the laws of science and, uh, and, and, and so on. But because of that, our faith has been diminished. Uh, and we have lost the concept of faith to us is, is just like an intellectual apprehension of some biblical truth. Uh, so there's a mystery that is missing in the Western world. That So when you hear these things happening in this other part of the world, I marvel, and I wish that somehow a taste of that can return to the West, where we understand it's not just an intellectual realm we're into, we're into a supernatural realm that Paul talks about. So I, I think that the same thing, to come back to that, I do feel that people who are mentally uh, deprived or mentally wounded and who have never had access to the gospel, I do believe that the grace of God and the blood of Christ covers those people, and I think those people are safe. And the second question coming from Nevis, uh, when you have a dream and it's a sinful act, do you have to repent? Well, I I have had some terrible dreams myself, to be honest with you. I think um, we all have. <laughs> uh, I, I don't give much credence to dreams, uh, unless, uh, I mean, I've never had one where I've tried to find out what the interpretation is. Uh, again, I, I am not too sure if I have become so westernized as well that I am not paying attention to those kind of things, but I know there's a movement in, in Barbados called the Spiritual Baptist Church uh, that gives so much credibility to dreams and uh, and uh, are so wrapped up in dreams that dreams carry perhaps even more weight than Scripture itself. I don't think we need to come to that point. I would say to the person is that if you have a dream and it probably relates to something that you've done, and it's brought your attention to that, uh, I would not be at all, um, um, I, I, I would suggest to the person, if they have a sense of guilt, and their conscience bother them about the matter, whatever is raised in the dream, uh, I think it could be a warning from God. And if that is not contrary to anything in Scripture, I would suggest to you that uh, probably you should, if it's something that you... Uh, have done, uh, you're aware of, and it's come in a form of a dream. Uh, it may be that you're not listening in the other way, and God has sent that to you so that you can respond to it. But just make sure it's in harmony with Scripture. It's not telling you to do something that is contrary to Scripture. Uh, that would be my counsel, my advice on a person like that. Thank you very much for that answer, Pastor. Thank you for the questions. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. The name of the program is That's Truth. And for this program, we are also on Facebook Live. 
You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. It doesn't matter where you're listening, whether it's from Canada, whether it's from the Eastern Caribbean, or whether it's from right next door to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse studio. You can listen on any one of these sources, and you can join in by WhatsApping or texting your questions to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Pastor, when we were talking about anxiety, you mentioned that the effects of anxiety depend on the nature of the anxiety. What do you mean by this, and are there different types of anxiety? Well, in, indeed there are. When you, um, if you take the Diagnostic Handbook of uh, the Psychological Society of the U.S., for example, and you go through under, look under the heading of anxiety, you see that they talk about none of, of uh, anxiety disorders that they label. Uh, for example, they put phobias, uh, which is a fear, as you would know, and there are different types of fears that people have. Uh, some people fear um, being closed in, locked in. I, I panic myself when I'm in a, a closed area. Yeah. Even when I'm driving, I mean, when I was driving on the U.S. highway many years ago, I was hemmed in by two sem- big semi-trucks, and I almost panicked. I almost let go of the, uh, the steering wheel. Uh, I, I just... It looked as though they were closing on me, and I, I just kind of panic. I don't like heights, for example. Um, that is, but they talk about phobias, and then they, they panic disorders. They talk about uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. They talk about anxiety that is due to medical conditions, uh, depending on if you have an imbalance uh, uh, in neurotransmitters in your brain or something to do with your hormones. You can have anxiety as a result of that. As a matter of fact, I had a friend of mine in uh, St. Vincent, that had years of depression, years of depression and anxiety, and it was finally dif- discovered that he had a thyroid deficiency. There was no solution to his problem, uh, and then they found out that the thyroid deficiency, once they treated that, uh, his anxiety went away. And then there's post-traumatic stress disorder, especially people who've been to war, and they have flashbacks, and um, and people who, uh, also there's the, people got what's called acute stress disorder, and then there's a, a kind of a generalized anxiety that most people fear sometimes, and sometimes uh, substance abuse um, uh, induced disorder occurs as well. People who use uh, certain drugs, uh, the euphoria of that when it wears off, they get very irritable, they get very anxious. So depending on the type of uh, anxiety uh, um, that is you're dealing with, they will have different symptoms. And not all anxiety follows all the basic fundamental symptoms. Uh, so the severity of the symptoms depend on the nature of the anxiety and also the causal agent of it. Um, bear in mind that you know all of these descriptions that are given in the psychological manual are really definitions based on the cause and effect and and what how the person acts in, in those areas. So it really depends on the nature of the anxiety. Uh, so all the symptoms will not be common to every form of anxiety. Uh, and then the, the manual would normally tell you, you know, if you've got this type of anxiety, these are the symptoms you look for. And by the way, I don't, I don't discount the use of psychology as long as it doesn't contradict the scripture. There are people who study human behavior, who have been into hospitals and observed people who got phobias and who have studied these things and said, listen, these are the marks when a person has a phobia or uh, when a person has an obsessive compulsion 
you know, these are people who observe these things and said these are the signs. Where you have a problem with psychology is because psychology really has a false, is built on a false anthropology. And what I mean by that, um, it doesn't understand the human nature, uh, human nature, um, because it doesn't believe in a god. It believes substantially in, in evolution, and it also doesn't believe that man has a spirit and man has a soul. And, beca- and they don't understand that. They talk about, you know, what drives people is the unconsciousness. Uh, this is what Freud said. Uh, the truth of fact, what drives people, the Bible says, are their desires, uh, their lusts. A man is driven uh, by a desire to meet his needs. It's not nothing unconscious within a person. That's a Freudian idea that was pushed on the public that we've absorbed. But the Bible makes it clear that our motivation for doing what we do comes from the desires, the lust, the evil lust within us. So I think because they don't understand uh, biblical anthropology, I think that that is what has led uh, to uh, the false interpretation of some of the psychological observations. But generally speaking, some of them are very, very valid. And, you know, all truth is God's truth. If I were to observe a child, for example, people spend years observing kids. They can give you an idea when a child is four years old, what are the characteristics of that child, how he behaves, and then observe. I haven't spent the time to observe that meticulously, but there are people who devote themselves to studying childhood psychology and who could, and that's, that's where those things are helpful. And we ought not to ignore uh, those, those discoveries in terms of observation. But when it begins to um, encroach on the biblical teaching and discredit the Bible and go contrary to Scripture, that's when we draw a line and say, this is as far as you go. But uh, So the reason I'm saying that is that uh, these different types of anxieties that we just talked about, six or seven of them, um, each one of those have a different have different characteristics. Some have common characteristics, some have unique characteristics, and that's why I said it depends on the nature of the anxiety uh, in terms of discovery the symptoms that would be uh, displayed. We have a question from a listener in Antigua. Thank you to the individual who sent this in. Pastor, the Bible says that the Antichrist is already in the world and that the real Antichrist is Satan himself. So those people that worship images or idols, are they worshiping the Antichrist? Well, Paul also said that people that worship uh, idols worship demons. Uh, you find that in the book of Corinthians. Uh, and, and when uh, John says that the Antichrist is the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world, uh, Satan has been active from the very beginning and continues to uh, plan and plot the ultimate deception, which is that man comes to believe that he himself is God. And this is the, the final satanic deception. The, the man of sin that is coming, who is the Antichrist, will be the embodiment of Satan. But his claim will be that he is God. And that, by the way, it's interesting, Nathan, that all the New Age teaching uh, is headed in that direction, uh, pointing to the fact that man needs to discover. Man's problem is not sin. Man's problem is ignorance. It needs to be brought to a higher level of consciousness when he realizes that there's no distinction between he and God. Uh, so this is where everything is headed. And that will come to a climax in the Antichrist, who will claim to be to be God. Um, but the, the fact is, uh, the Antichrist to come, um, nobody knows if he's alive today. Uh, but he is coming. And I was reading today um, in the book of um, Revelation, 
that he comes out of the bottomless pit, the abyss. It's called the beast coming out of the abyss. So he is going to be a satanically possessed individual. And uh, and that is why they said that Satan will give him all his authority and all of his power. Uh, this world is headed for a deception such we've never seen. And the Bible is warning us that while we have the truth, embrace the truth, the time is coming when God will send them strong delusion that those that refuse to believe the truth will believe the lie, the ultimate lie. Uh, so the, 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 by the way, the, the first lie is that we will be like God. We can become gods. That's the, that was the deception that led Eve. To, um, and that ultimate lie will come to fruition when the man of sin in himself embodies himself that he is God. So that lie that was perpetrated in the Garden of Eden uh, is the lie that man will ultimately believe. And all of these religious movements today, whether it be the even the Word of Faith movement, by the way, you read some of these these guys who are saying that we are little gods, we just don't know that we are little gods. Not only the satanic world and the occult people are making these claims, you've got people in the pulpit today making these kind of claims. Uh, that we are somehow uh, little gods, and uh, it's just that we are living in ignorance until we finally come to our final identity that we are gods. This is all headed. But the, the Antichrist will be embodiment of that. Pastor, if a person is praying to someone other than God or Jesus Christ, for example, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is praying to Mary or elevating Mary in any way. Is that an idol? Of course that's an idol. There's no question about that. And this is where I have problems with the Catholic Church. I cannot understand how anybody who have an open mind with a, a Bible can believe the dogma of Mariolatry, which basically is that Mary is the co-redemptive with Christ. And, and by the way, this is actually in their writings that... It's not that Christ saves and saves alone, but Mary assists in that salvation. Uh, but not only that, that she is the queen of heaven. There's no queen in heaven, there's a king in heaven. And the fact is that she was, uh, she was immaculately conceived, that Mary is sinless. But not only that, that Mary has been assumed, removed from earth before she died. All of this is contrary to Scripture. And to add to that, the insult of praying to her who prays to Jesus they have removed the mediatorial role of Christ, so she's now the co-mediator with Christ. If that isn't idolatry, I don't know what is. Can you conceive of, uh, and the Bible warns us that we must worship God and worship God only. That's why the believer can worship Christ, because he's God the Son. But to offer prayer and worship and adoration to a human being like Mary is nothing short of idolatry. And this is the this, in my judgment, is the embodiment of the idolatrous system of Catholicism that has so deceived the world that there are people literally depending on Mary for their salvation. Can you, can you envisage uh, the offense that, that heaven has towards that kind of thinking, that kind of a dogma, that kind of, of doctrine? Sometimes I remember when I, was, um, when I was living in Clarksville, I would pass through Herbert's. And there was a supermarket they called Herbert Supermarket. There are times when I will pass in to get a few items, and I will hear uh, the adoration of Mary on the radio. And I would, I would almost be in the, in, in the, in the um, mini-mart, astounded, uh, offended by the kind of 
language that was used to describe her, uh, she is virtually a goddess. That is idolatry, and it is modern idolatry, but it has been Christianized to the point where there's such a mixture of it with a little bit of truth, with so much error, that people have swallowed the whole pill, and it's going to lead to many being damned because of uh, this idolatry that is practiced. Now, you've used, in your answer there, you used Christianity or Christian or Christianized in a loose loose general term. What does it mean, or what do I need to do in order to become a true Christian? Well, the Bible is very, very simple uh, about what man needs to do in the condition man. I think we all recognize that uh, the Bible makes it clear that we are fallen creatures, that we are sinful creatures, that we have gone away from God. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. Every one of us, outside of Jesus Christ, before we were converted, would admit that we live for ourselves. We wanted independence and autonomy. We wanted self-control. We just wanted to do our own thing, live our own way. We didn't want anybody regulating our lives. We just wanted our total uh, independence. God never meant for us to live independent. We were always designed from the very inception to be dependent upon God. You read the book of Genesis where man, God would come down and speak with man. Clearly it's a relation between God and man. Man has broken that, and because of that, man has rebelled. Man is now a sinful creature who is bent on evil and the pursuit of his own pleasures. I don't think anybody would dispute that. The Bible says that God has come up with a solution, and that solution is that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come on planet Earth. He would take the, the position of man and uh, die in man's place, take man's sin upon himself, and offer a free redemptive gift to man, which can be received on the basis of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Remember that our, our salvation is not based on our faith. It's what we put our faith in. What saves us is the shed blood of Christ Jesus and the total atonement that his death has brought for us. We put our faith in what he did for us on the cross. And all God asks us to do today is two things. Acknowledge your sinful nature, acknowledge your sinner, repent of your sins, turn away from your sins. Redemption is about redeeming us from our sins and breaking the power of sin in our lives. We cannot come to God to want to go to heaven, and we have no desire whatsoever to break the power of sin in our lives. That's a, that is a, a non-start at the beginning. But doesn't that make salvation of works? How can that be a work? Because what, what redemption is about is man uh, feeling the gravity of his sin and wanting forgiveness. It's not God unilaterally granting forgiveness for us. It comes to a point where we are broken because of how we've lived, how we've treated God, how we've treated other people, how we've, how we've um, managed our lives uh, to the detriment of our, even our own well-being. Uh, that's where the conviction comes in. And by the way, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. He's sent into the world to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on Christ. Of uh, righteousness, because Christ goes to his Father. And then of judgment, because the, the, the prince of this world is judged. So here it is that the Holy Spirit's job is to convict me of my sin, convict me that I need righteousness, and convict me of judgment to come. When I come under the burden of sin, and I realize I need righteousness, and I am under divine judgment, then and only then I am broken to understand that I'm in a perilous situation. And when I reach that point of 
of, of uh, feeling them in peril, then I, I throw my hand in dismay. Uh, what's the answer? What, what's the solution? And that's where the Spirit of God points us to the cross. Christ's death on the cross is a human is a solution to, to man's problem. So I turn to Him. I, I ask for forgiveness and pardon for my sins, and I exercise faith and trust in Him. But I come to Him with the understanding that I am turning away from sin. That's what repentance is. I can't come to Him and have no desire to turn away from sin. That's not salvation. That's not. That's not conviction. That's not brokenness. And I think that's where a lot of people are. And I think that where we have misled, and when I say we, I'm using a general term, the evangelical world, that we have so much emphasized the, the peril of man and the need for trusting Christ that we have short, truncated the gospel and simply telling what you do is to believe. We haven't dealt with the need of repentance. A man doesn't repent until he sees his need of repentance. And that's where I think we have failed in the process. And uh, we need to, to explain to people that they have offended God, uh, the need forgiveness and pardon, but that will never come unless there's a sense of brokenness and repentance, and then you put your faith and trust in Christ. So really it's two things, repentance of our sins and faith and trust in Christ as our Savior. That is the simple answer that Paul, read the book of Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5, and that's where Paul talks about the whole matter of justification by faith alone as the means of forgiveness and pardon and redemption. That's what we need. We don't need a Mary. We don't even need the church. And when I say they need the church as to be some kind of mediator between us and God, there's only one mediator between us, that's the man, Christ Jesus. The church is there to declare the counsel of God and the message of God to the person so that the person comes into contact with truth. And then the Holy Spirit takes that truth and uh, convicts that person of sin. That person responds to the truth and puts their faith and trust in Christ. That, Nathan, might have gone about in a kind of a long way. I try to simplify it from the very inception of what the problem is with man until the solution that God has come up with. So there's no other way and means of a man being saved except through Jesus Christ. He is the exclusive Savior, and all must come to God through him. He said, no man comes to the Father except through me. That is the exclusivity of the Christian gospel and the uniqueness of the Christian faith. And we cannot and will not apologize for that, because all truth is exclusive. We have another WhatsApp question from Antigua. Psalm 82.6 says, I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. That's Psalm 82 and verse 6. Good night again, Pastor. Can you please highlight this for me? Listen, I'm familiar with the verse. I'm going to give you a very quick answer, but I want to come back to that next week because it, it takes some time because that's one of the verses that people use. Uh, as a matter of fact, some of the cults even use that and point out that man is God himself. Uh, but the, the proper interpretation of that particular passage, I want to spend some time dealing with that next week. But generally speaking, it is talking, if you read the passage, it's talking about people who are in the position of judgeship, people who are judges who are administering justice. They are taking the role of God in the sense that they are administering uh, the justice of God uh, should, in other words, God has delegated that responsibility to them. 
In the same way God judges, these judges now perform that same role as judge. And, and, and so they're acting in the role of God. Not that they're actual God, they're acting in the role of God as being judges. That's what that fact is all about. But I, I would like to elaborate on it next next week. Um, I can't deal with it exhaustively, but I'm very familiar with it, and I know how it's abused and misused, and I will give you, uh, I'll deal with it more exhaustively uh, next week. I made a note of that, and we'll start out the program next week with that verse. And thank you for the individual who sent that question in. Pastor, I have another question from Antigua. When God comes to separate the goats from the sheep, what's the difference between the two? Well, again, uh, if you read the passage in Matthew chapter 25, um, that it talks about separating the goats from the sheep. Uh, again, you've got to read the, the, the passage of Scripture and, and see exactly what that has to do. You will find that uh, the, the basis of that in Matthew chapter 25 has to do with the treatment of the Jewish people. Uh, it, it's the same passage that says, I was hungry, you did this, etc., etc. Um, the, 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 the real basis there of dealing with those, those are the nations that are going to separate the goats from the sheep. And this has to do with the end time. Um, if you read it, it comes directly after Matthew chapter 24. Uh, then it talks about separating the, the, the sheep and the goat, the nations. It has to do really with those nations that during the tribulation period, uh, the treatment of these 144 Jewish evangelists and the Jewish people, because the Antichrist is going to persecute the Jews and try to destroy the Jews. You find that in Revelation chapter 12, where the dragon tries to destroy, and she's given a place where she goes into the wilderness and hide. So uh, those that exercise faith in uh, the evangelists who will carry the gospel uh, during that period of time after the church is raptured, the treatment and the response to, to those people will determine, and the treatment of the Jewish nation will determine whether or not these are people who have faith in the true and the living God or not. That is a criteria that's given in Matthew chapter 25. But once again, uh, I'm speaking here without even having an open Bible before me uh, to that particular passage. Uh, I would like, Nathan, as well, if you put a note there, that I can deal with that a little bit more thoroughly in, in the next uh, program as well. Okay. I jotted that down. We were talking about anxiety, and I'm wondering what some of the symptoms are of anxiety. I think all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, Pastor, to some degree have faced anxiety, especially over the last month as regulations are being put in place to in relation to COVID, things that I honestly never expected to see in my lifetime, let alone the swing of how quickly things have changed just in six weeks. Uh, what are some of the symptoms of anxiety? Well, what, what, depending, as I said, the nature of the anxiety, but we don't know a general sense of anxiety. Uh, I think that's what you're meaning. And I think the, the symptoms that uh, manifest in theory, they vary depending on the general health of the person. It also varies depending on the character of the person. And does that person have any moral and spiritual underpinnings as an individual? I think those four elements, uh, the general health, the character of the person, uh, the moral and spiritual underpinning of the person, will produce a different response and different symptoms. But generally speaking, um, these characteristics of anxiety uh, include a variety of signs. Uh, some people have hot and cold flushes. Some people, sometimes it can be the point where they shake. 
literally shake and tremble. Sometimes it's a racing heart that a person is trying to deal with when they become anxious. Sometimes they have tight feelings in the chest. Some people have actual chest pains when they have anxiety. Some people struggle to breathe when they reach the point of anxiety. And then they have this snowballing uh, worries that seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger uh, in their mind, their thoughts. Uh, and then there's a racing mind that is full of these negative thoughts that begin to take over. I'm going to die. Something's going to happen. Uh, and then there's a constant need sometimes to check things that are right, whether you know, right or wrong. Uh, and some people have ex- uh, excessive worry uh, for months uh, so that the person becomes keyed up, becomes on edge, and um, becomes jaded. Uh, some people have difficulty concentrating or having, sometimes the mind just goes blank. Sometimes they, uh, they become very irritable. And here's another one, you know, people have difficulty falling asleep and staying asleep. Those are all symptoms of anxiety. And then there's over planning, uh, excessive list making and seeking to make, uh, seeking assurance uh, from others, you know, did I do this? Did I, did I cover all my bases, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, this collective uh, list of symptoms um, are not all manifested in an individual, but five or six of these in an individual's life is a clear sign that they are going through a period of anxiety. So those are about, what, 15, 20 of the general things that are mentioned when it comes to, to anxiety. And then, of course, the other one is depression. And that's why sometimes the symptoms of depression and anxiety uh, intertwine and they cross over uh, because they're so intimately connected. So I would, I would say that those are some of the basic fundamental general signs that you can look for an individual who is, uh, who is anxious. If I am listening to that list and I realize, you know what, I have several of those symptoms, what do you advise? Well, hopefully that... Um, I don't want to jump the gun, but hopefully that the, it's coming on to the end of the program. We will talk about what the Bible says about these things. Yeah, we still got 20 minutes person, left. I, I would say to a person that uh, if you're going through this, you realize that you're anxious. The Bible makes it very clear. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. This is a time when you, rather than allow your thoughts to take control of your life and so that you can't function, uh, that you are a person who is now finding it difficult to sleep and, and uh, even stay asleep. Uh, and you can't concentrate. This is a time where you need to uh, devote more time to prayer before God and a time to meditate not on the events at the time that is caught in the anxiety, but this is a time when you move your mind away from these uh, thoughts and begin to focus on God and who God is. In other words, it, it, the battle is in your mind. That's where the battle is in your mind. And Paul in Philippians chapter 4, when he says, be anxious with everything by prayer, the next thing he says, uh, think on these things. And then Paul gives a list of seven things, things that are good and are righteous and things that are excellent. Uh, Paul talks about these things. That you, in other words, you have to purposefully, consciously disengage your mind from that negative list of things that are bothering you and take on these things that Paul talks about and dwell on these, these things. And that's the only way the mind is going to be transformed. There's no way to go and take a pill and inject yourself with a pill or we don't have a mental, uh, a biblical solution where we can wave a magic wand and solve people's problems. Remind ourselves that the Bible is about truth. 
truth appeals to the mind, the battle is in the mind, and the only way they counteract, the only antidote to those negative thoughts, uh, the, the thoughts that come from Scripture that are wholesome, and especially those thoughts that dwell upon God and His works and who God is and what God can do for us. Um, he will show you later. And then our Lord, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, when he was talking about uh, taking no thought for your life, etc., he reminds the disciples and he reminds the Christian, listen, God cares for you. And he, he, he points out to the fact that God cares for the lilies, which is an inanimate um, entity. Then he said God cares for the sparrow. And he reminds them that the sparrow doesn't um, hoard up uh, for the winter, whatever it is. And he said that even Solomon in all his glory is not dressed like a lily. And then he says, it is your father that clothes the, the, the lily. It's your father that feeds the birds. So if he feeds the birds and he sees the li- and he takes care of the lily, how is it possible that you can think that he doesn't care for you, wouldn't care, you know? He uses that rationale that when you read it, you almost laugh in dismay that we are so uh, creatures that lack so much faith and doubt God's providential care. Yet God is saying, I'm your father. I take care of these things. How can it be thought of you that I, I, I take care of and I and I wouldn't feed you? He said, take most of your life. And he said, you know, what you've got to do is to basically have your whole mindset change and see God for who he is and his providential care and then he says, I know what you need. I, I, you, I know that you need of these things. But then he points out the distraction. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you, you, you focus on what I tell you to focus on, and I will meet those needs that you're concerned about. That's the biblical answer. It comes down to trust. Because at the root of anxiety is insecurity. Our uncertainty leads us to a sense of insecurity. And, and the Bible is telling us in Matthew chapter 6, our security is not in the circumstances of life. Our security is a God who providentially controls the circumstances of life. Until we grasp that truth and live by that truth, we will never be able to lift ourselves above the anxiety that we face because the virus now is going to cause anxiety. I have no doubt in my mind that in a few months' time that this will be like the AIDS virus. Okay? It might be a little bit more apprehension at first. But then something greater is coming. Hmm. Our Lord says pestilences are going to come. It says that people's heart will begin to faint. In other words, heart attacks. This is this is uh, this is just the, the symptom. This is just the tip of the iceberg. This is this is no indication of, of of the end. This is just the beginning. So there's a lot more worse things to come. The Bible talks about, and if we can't handle this, I'm not too sure what kind of. Um, uh, faith we're going to manifest to the world when we too become anxious like them as though their same lack of faith, their lack of passion uh, for the things of God that we too devolve into that kind of unbelief. Uh, I, I just hope that never happens. But we, we need to find our trust in God. And I hope that this, this, this experience of the virus is putting all of us who are truly born-again believers that we have to understand that our hope, our confidence, our security is in a close relationship with God. Nothing else can give us security except a safe, secure relationship with Him. That's what really matters. Let me put it this way, Nathan. 
let's suppose you and I were so close to God, so intimate with God, that we lost any sense, concept of fear. Whether we live or whether we die, it doesn't matter, because we are so close to Him as though we want to be with Him. That, if we could come to that level, we would not be in trepidation like we are today. But we spend our time focusing on things that are, in the end, totally inconsequential. The thing we should focus on is what we've neglected most, and that is our relationship with God. And we panic when things happen because our security is not in Him, our security is in our circumstances and what we want in life. The kingdom, in other words, has taken secondary place in our lives, and the pursuit of righteousness is not our ambition. And because of that, these other things shake us when they happen. But that's the biblical answer in a short, short, to give a short, brief answer. We've got 12 minutes left on the program tonight. And I'm curious, is it okay to say that anxiety has triggers or trigger points, or is that incorporating too much psychology into things? Yeah, well, I think uh, depending, again, on the, the type of um, anxiety we're dealing with, but there's no question that uh, certain things in life uh, triggers anxiety. And um, if I just would mention just a few for you. For example, if you're living in a uh, working in a stressful job or toxic work environment, uh, again, if you're, you're insecure in your choice of job, anxiety is, is going to come. There's no question about that. So um, you, that could trigger you. So you can be living in a stressful job situation or a toxic work environment, and that creates anxiety in the workflow so that you can't uh, be productive. You're always worried about, well, am I going to be able to stay on the job? Am I going to get fired? Uh, you know, those kind of things. Uh, some people, for example, I mean, as simple thing as people driving in a, in a, on a highway. Uh, where there are so many cars going in so many different directions, people panic in that kind of thing, a simple thing like that, or even driving in, in the city, where it's almost like uh, a snail trail, and you're scared of, especially women, for example, um, these kind of things could happen. And then uh, genetics, there's no doubt about it, that people uh, have a, a, a tendency within a certain family. Uh, you find that anxiety runs, generally speaking, within a family. You find that the mother was very anxious. You find that somehow that genetic effect has been passed on to her children. So it, it, there, there is a ge- genetic um, element uh, to it. Uh, sometimes when a person is on drugs, certain types of drugs, medication, and then they come off the medication too sudden without uh, gradually doing it, uh, that could create anxiety because it creates a hormone imbalance or the neural transmitters in the brain could be affected. That can affect it. Sometimes there's a trauma that could create anxiety. Take a woman who's been raped or a person who has gone through some kind of physical or sexual abuse or who's had a violent encounter. Uh, when they uh, have been through that, there's certain situations that trigger those, that anxiety again. The, the, the experience of rape, they may be in the same room. And being in the same room when these things happen, there's a, a dread, there's a fear. A person whose house has been broken into, for example, and this is one of the terrible things about robbery in, in a home, uh, after that event, you never feel secure. You're always anxious at night that I close all the windows. Uh, you know, it, it creates this kind of thing. And then there's certain fears and phobias that create, um, that trigger anxiety. I mentioned to you, for example, when I'm closed in, uh, it's as though I can't breathe. Now, I can't explain that, but that's just a phenomenon with me. When I go to a climb heights and I look down, I'm almost willing to panic. Uh, so it depends on the, the, the nature of it. Uh, sometimes people 
open space. They can't handle open space. Uh, that, that bothers people. And then there's some chronic illnesses that are linked to anxiety. For example, a person who has a heart disease or who has diabetes or asthma, uh, those people are generally speaking more prone to anxiety than a normal person without those health issues. And then sometimes people are suffering from chronic pain, from arthritis, for example. They, they, they just, they, they're in a state of anxiety. Uh, they, they have not accepted that that's what will happen and continue in life. And uh, it's the struggle of trying to live with the pain uh, and, uh, and the trouble of being a Christian and still living in pain creates anxiety. Then, by the way, caffeine, for example, some people are, they take coffee and they drink too much coffee. They're, they, they are a wreck during the day. Hmm. They, they can hardly control themselves. And then there are biochemical imbalances. Uh, as I mentioned, the neurotransmitters sometimes, the, the hormones. And that's why the way when you're dealing with these kind of things like depression, well, the first thing you do, and a common anxiety is happening again and again, well, the first thing you do as a counselor is to recommend that they get a thorough medical examination. Because uh, a counselor is not able to treat these kind of problems if there is a biological or organic cause. That's where the doctor comes in to put that thing back in balance, and then you can go on with, with natural counseling. So there are sometimes when there are organic problems that create anxiety that only the medical profession can deal with, and you've got to be able to, to discern that. And then a life event, like the pandemic that we are currently experiencing, that creates anxiety because it's against our normal, everyday experience. Who would have thought that we would wake up one morning and, uh, and discover that uh, you can't go out? Uh, discover you got to wear a mask. Discover you got to keep a distance from people. Who would have thought that we would learn that this same problem is people are dying from it, and that people who are in the 60s and 70s are very vulnerable to it? I mean, these are things that we we are not expecting uh, would would happen. So that in itself triggers anxiety because it's a, a life event that creates uncertainty and uh, the threat of death. Is, you remember what the devil told Job? Uh, a man would give anything to save his life. <laughs> and he write about that. Uh, we all don't want to die. Let's be very frank about that. We all don't want to die. Uh, and uh, that creates... And then it's sometimes a person's personality. Some people are born pessimists. They see the, the bottle. Uh, as you know, the, 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 uh, the aphorism that is used sometimes, that, you know, you see the bottle, some people see it, half empty some people say half full it all depends on the mindset of the person some people are just perennial optimists and a lot has to do with the person's personality uh there are elements as i mentioned genetic elements and then um there are some people who have excessive concern for the for the future uh there are people who are piling up money and money and money because no matter how much money they got they just feel that they're not going to have enough for the future and they just panic and panic and panic and panic and panic. The, the whole life is about, their security is in a bank account. Their security is not in God, it's not in Christ, it's not in God's providence. And when that is the case, they will always face anxiety because they can never have enough. And then, of course, the, we mentioned the matter of anxiety. Is, a lot of it is caused by financial insecurity. People who have, you know, you deal with people sometimes that come from Nathan and, 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 and even in marriages, and people are depressed, people are anxious. And when you begin to get a profile of their financial situation, you find that they have a, a albatross of debt around their neck and they can't see how to find themselves on it because often it's the use of the credit card. And as a result, uh, they see themselves sinking and sinking and sinking. And when that begins to happen, their future looks so bleak. 
and uh, that begins to affect the land. And then, of course, uh, burgeoning debt is another thing that really... So there are a lot of things, uh, and I might add another one, by the way. Pregnant women, for example, uh, some of them have what is called antenatal anxiety, and that is before, while they're getting, during the time of pregnancy, they become very, very anxious and concerned. Am I an adequate mother? Uh, what's going to happen to the child? Uh, this happens uh, to uh, um, less than 50% of women. And then there's what you call postnatal anxiety as well. There's a few weeks after the child is, is born, uh, they go through a time of anxiety and depression as well. So something happens there, and many, many times it has to do with the hormonal imbalance as a result of the pregnancy. But many women find themselves, when they should be really excited the child is born, a week or two after, they just go through this, this depression. They call it postnatal depression. Uh, so those are some of the, 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 the things that trigger, uh, I think I listed about 16 of them, that trigger uh, anxiety. So it doesn't come from any one particular matter. It's just a conglomerate of things that can confront a person where they feel so overwhelmed. We've got about the insurgent, yeah. We've got uh, about four minutes left in the program. Sure. Uh, just to kind of wrap things up on this topic for the evening, from a biblical perspective, how should we deal with it? Does the Bible cover anxiety? <laughs> well, uh, Nathan, um, if you look in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, you'll find that this concept of anxiety is, is very frequent in both the Old Testament and New Testament. The word anxiety itself does not occur in the Old Testament, but there are biblical words that convey the, the concept and express the concept of anxiety. For example, you'll find David talking about the multitude of the, the, his thoughts, the, the tumbling anxious thoughts that David had. You read the Psalms, you'll find that many, many times he talks about these fears that he has. Um, the other word that is used in the Old Testament is, is about it's care. Uh, and then the, the other term is the word trouble and heaviness and the vexation of spirit. All of those are Old Testament expressions that uh, convey the same concept of uh, anxiety. When you come to the New Testament, uh, which I think helps us even more understanding the whole concept of uh, anxiety. The word that is used to express the word anxiety or worry is the word meremneo. And if you check Vine's Dictionary of New Testament Words, you'll find that that word comes from word meriso. It means to, to draw in different directions. So what it has to do there expresses the very nature of anxiety, that we are torn by conflicting thoughts. Uh, that is the gist and the essence of, of what anxiety about is in, the, in our thought life. Uh, that word is translated worry, is translated care, and is translated uh, anxious uh, in the Bible, in investment. You'll find it in Matthew thirteen eleven, Matthew four nineteen, Luke eight fourteen, Luke twenty one thirty four, Luke ten forty one, Luke twelve eleven, First uh, Corinthians seven thirty two, thirty three, and thirty four. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25, Philippians 2, 2, 20, Philippians 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 7. All of those verses, those verses just mentioned, have this same word there, uh, merenneo, which has to do with either anxiety or uh, worry. Uh, in, in terms of the Bible, uh, I would quickly say this. The Bible recognizes that there is a legitimate form of anxiety. For example, in Corinthians chapter 7, verse 34 and 34, uh, 33 and 34, Paul talks about a person uh, having care, 
concern for his wife, the cares to meet the needs of his wife. In Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32, it's talking about a woman wanting to meet the concerns and the care for her husband. That's legitimate. Every single um, married couple should have uh, a, a care, uh, should have a, a kind of be concerned to meet the legitimate needs of their partner. In Corinthians eleven twenty eight, Paul talks about the care of the church. It's the same word, by the way. Uh, there's a level of anxiety about the state of the churches Paul had, which is wholesome uh, for the believer. And then in Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 and 26, Paul talks about the believer having uh, the care for each other. And the same word that is used there, we should be anxious. I have a level of anxiety that we're, we're caring for each other and we're loving for each other. So there is a general sense that there's a legitimate form of anxiety. But where it becomes problematic is where this anxiety uh, becomes such a pressure uh, in a person's life that we become distracted and we forget to relate our anxiety to the providential care of God as our Heavenly Father. Uh, and that's where it leads to unbelief and leads to doubt and, and, and fears that are displeasing to God. As far as the Bible is concerned, uh, simple answer. I mentioned Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer. The word anxious is the same word I just mentioned there, the Greek word. Everything by prayer and supplication. When we don't know what to do and when we are in a panic mode, we should turn those things over to God. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your cares, the word cares, your anxieties upon him downloading them upon him. Uh, this is what the Bible is teaching uh, on this matter. Thank you for uh, joining us for today's verses. program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.